and welcome to Ask an Academic Auntie, our bonus minute episodes of Academic Aunties where we take your questions and try to impart a little auntie wisdom. With us today is the great, the brilliant, and the amazing Auntie Dr. Shaista Patel, who uh, was our guest in episode four of season one of Academic Aunties. She is a fantastic person, my best friend, and her official job title is she is an assistant professor of critical Muslim studies at the University of California, San Diego. Hello, Auntie Shaista. Thank you for joining us again. Hi, Ethel. Thank you for such an amazing introduction. It's like every time I talk to you, my sense of self just gets shored up. So thank you. Oh my goodness, I'm not exaggerating. You really are that great. Um, but you know, Filipinos always like exaggerating too. So maybe you're not like 150%, maybe you're 125%. I don't know. <laughs> okay, um, so thank you for joining us to answer some of our listener questions. Because um, a few people have kind of messaged us seeking more anti-wisdom. Uh, so today's question uh, comes courtesy of our listener, uh, Bridget Sterling. And, you know, a lot of other listeners ask the same question. So we're just kind of condensing it into one uh, larger question as well. Uh, but Bridget asks, there's a lot of pressure in academia to conform to social norms, bringing the right food, wearing the right clothes, etc. And these are strong class markers. Obviously, this hidden curriculum stuff has been talked about a lot, and I don't blame people for learning to play the game as a survival mechanism, but I'm thinking about what we do to ourselves and to each other and our families in response. And we also have a listener uh, who articulates much the same thing that Bridget does, and uh, they want to be anonymous, so we'll respect that, uh, and they ask, what are your thoughts on the strategies that we need uh, to play the game? And, um, you know, how, how can we play this game so we can just finish our dissertations so finally we can find places that respect us? So both questions uh, concern playing the game. And a bunch of other people have asked us about this as well. Auntie Shaista, what do you think about this? I think, Ethel, these are really important questions. And thank you for, uh, you know, folks who listen to this podcast, this amazing podcast, and post these questions. Um, I also think this is a great question to ask a first generation immigrant Muslim woman, um, you know, who does not have either the cultural capital or the monetary capital um, and who um, admittedly pronounced Foucault as Foucault in her first ever theory class, right? Like, and was immediately marked as somebody who was not smart enough, though that, you know, uh, it wasn't necessarily the case in terms of how they mark that smartness um you know okay so let me let me tell you this one incident that is now maybe 15 years ago that is very clear in my mind um so this was my first year of grad school and i was sitting in uh, you know this this course of a very popular much uh you know beloved racialized scholar at my school and i remember sitting in her in her class um and she was talking about so we were talking about civility and 
you know, those were respectability politics and liberalism and all of that. And, you know, while we were doing this discussion, uh, the conversation shifted to norms in academia. And one of the things that she said that put the fear of God in my heart was, um, you know, she's like, you know, when you go for your job interviews um, and they take you for dinners, and of course, this is, you know, young, naive me sitting in my uh, first ever grad course and uh, as a PhD student. And she said, you need to know which fork to use. You need to know uh, how to carry on a conversation. If you don't drink alcohol, they immediately mark you as not civilized enough. And, you know, all of those things were there. And, you know, right now, like, I mean, I, I do not remember whether she meant it in a well-meaning sense or this is also a very hi-fi uh, class privileged racialized scholar. And, and so, you know, it's I mean, for somebody like me who does not drink, for somebody like me who really, really only knows how to eat with everything with one fork, right, from salad to dessert, I, I was I was really overwhelmed and really scared. And so that's, you know, I, I don't know what playing the game means when you are not even when you're standing outside the field, you know, and, and, mm. and that's, that's how I feel. I, I, I feel like I'm in the field now because I have a job and all of that. But for most of my grad school career, that's how I felt. And I think one important thing that you bring up is the fact that usually, well, not usually, but sometimes it's actually racialized scholar who actually put up the gates so you can't get into the field. Um, you know, not all skin folk or kin folk, right? As the common saying goes. I think, you know, some of this hidden curriculum stuff as well is really something that we, especially women, people of color, first-gen immigrants, have to contend with, right? And so I think in terms of kind of practical advice, um, if, for example, you're invited to a job talk dinner and people are offering wine and you're being offered wine, I think you also have to remain true to yourself as well. A simple, oh, no, thank you, is sufficient. You don't need to explain, right? And if they ask you to explain, then do you really want to be working there? <laughs> um I don't know. Yes. No, I, I think that's really okay. So let me tell you about my job talk experience. Um, I right before I was going to go to the podium to give my talk in a room that was filled with maybe 60, 70 people. I tripped on the wires, right? <gasps> and there I was thinking, okay, Shasta, you're done. But it's, but, but, you know, I mean, luckily the people there, you know, the faculty, grad students, other folks who were there to support me. And that's one of the things that I learned that, you know, people appreciate when you are true to yourself, when you speak like you speak, when you say the things that you have to say, you know, you cannot carry on that facade of being, you know, that distant sort of person who has this language that is not their own for long, because, you know, the, the job, you know, just that job talk day, right? Like I'm talking about that in particular, it's a long day, like you go through so many interviews, you have to be honest to yourself, right? Like, like a geek, I remember I took this big folder, though everybody said you need to be very confident, you need to sit with your shoulders back. And I remember that I went with my folder and, you know, asked people, like, can I look at my folder when answering your questions? And people were really generous. And then I remembered the part about dinner, right? So we went to this fancy um, restaurant because, you know, they're trying to impress you. Um, and, you know, the city is also like one of those expensive whatever cities, San Diego. Um, and I was very honest with them. I was like, look, I don't drink. And I ordered what I ordered. And then we were just and I was like, oh, my God, this is the fanciest dinner I've ever had. And, you know, people were laughing. I mean, the, the colleagues that took me for dinner were, were so, uh, you know, were so grounded and, and they really appreciated. And, you know, even when I got the job, the grad students who came to me, colleagues who came to me, 
one of the things I remember them saying to me is that we just saw you as a very real person. And I think that for me, you know, without performing all of this civility, without putting on, you know, all these up, without putting up all these airs, like I was who I am. And I got the job. So I'll, I'll just say that, you know, if you are in a department, if you are going to give a job talk where you feel like you're being judged for how you use your fork, how you use your language, you will not be happy. You will be so depressed within that same year. So it's better to say no to them. It's an important, important, important bit of advice. And I think my thinking on this has evolved as well. Like, look, I get it. When you're on the job market, you have... You have so much anxiety because you just want a job. I mean, in a different episode, we'll need to talk about the structures of academia where there's increasing uh, sessional work and there's very, very few tenure track jobs. And I think we also need to talk about why tenure track jobs shouldn't be the be all and end all of PhD graduates, right? Like we need to diversify um, where we land after the PhD. But I think, you know, in terms of kind of my thinking, I agree with Auntie Shaista. Like I think... Um, why worry about what right fork to use or what wine to order? Um, why worry about that and not like the substantive part of your job talk? I mean, I think it skews um, our priorities here. And I think one thing I'll say is that there has been an industry that has emerged to put the fear of God in grad yes. students um, uh, and make grad students think that they need to pay like a thousand dollars for these services in order for them to get jobs. And sure, a lot of these services may be helpful um, in terms of like writing cover letters and things like that, right? But I do think we have to push back against these norms because those of us who are in the academy, like myself and Auntie Shaista, are actively fighting against this right and so there is some pushback and i think if you remain true to yourself um in terms of not changing (laughs) whether you want to drink alcohol or not then you'll feel better about yourself right um but i think you know let's talk a little bit about people who this is the second question who are stuck in a program or a department where they're just they just want to get out of there right um, and they feel they have to play the game in order to just kind of finish and get out. Um, what suggestions do you give uh, people who are in that position who are just like, look, this is so toxic. I'm just bending my head down, trying to get through it, playing the game. But it's really, really hard. You know, this is this is a hard one. I think if you are sort of at the very end, right? I mean, PhD is... Uh, you know, what you write, how you are is a negotiation, uh, you know, between you, your supervisor, maybe one or two very powerful committee members. So I, I get that, right? Like to be whatever our, like, I'm not saying there is this like, you know, real authentic self, but whatever feels good to us, true to us, sometimes you're not able to perform that in, in those difficult and toxic departments. And our Lord knows that many of us have been through those. Um, but, but what I'll say is that if you're close to the end, um, it, as bad as it sounds, go with what your supervisor is suggesting, right? For example, if they're telling you to write something, write in a way that doesn't feel real to you, just do it because you know you can work on what feels right to you when you're doing your book. So in, in that sense, I'll say that. 
but however having said that if you are you know when i was doing my phd um a friend of mine um told me about a, a good friend of hers who committed suicide during their phd program so so you know this was this wasn't like you know and they committed suicide because of the toxicity in their department and and they just felt like there was no world outside i will tell you this that there is a world outside of academia i have a friend now who has a phd and is, has decided to leave academia every day on twitter we see people who are leaving their programs who are leaving their phds but what i will say is that even if you decide to stay in that department uh, and you really want to get your phd from that department seek out other people sometimes you know abusers are are you know abusers are are this abusive and they have this hold over us because they think that there is no world beyond them right so it's like a, a shark in, in in a small tank and you're like well if i leave this person i don't know who else i can work with and you know i i, I just as somebody who who was uh, who has been through that situation and ended up finding a very generous um, a supervisor in the end, I will say this, that no, that is not true. There is a world beyond that person. And if they have been abusive towards you, they have been abusive towards others too, and their colleagues know too. So find, seek out that one kind person who might not be in your field. It's okay, as long as they can help you, push you through your PhD and like, just help you finish work with them. Like I think, and I we say this, you know, I've said this again and again, that finding kindness is, in academia is way harder than finding brilliance, which you find everywhere, but kindness is rarely found. So that's, I don't know, that's what I, I'm going to suggest, but you can, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think those are really, really important bits of, of advice. Like on the one hand, if you're almost there, you know, if your committee is fractured, if you disagree with them, if they disagree with each other, if your supervisor's just not being that good uh, in terms of the support they give, if you're if you can see the finish line and they're giving concrete bits of advice, you just do what they say and get out, right? Like yes. just just do what you need to do to get out, and then it's done, and then you can move on, right? However, um, you know, obviously, as Auntie Shice is saying, if this has really become an abusive scenario. Um, and one way to understand if it's become abusive is to ask your friends, ask a community outside your department who is not immersed in the toxicity, ask them if it's normal. And if they say, look, this is not normal, then that's a signal that you need to change things. Because oftentimes what you find is that people who are immersed in department toxicity can't see, can't see reality because they have Stockholm syndrome, right? So yes. get friends outside your department outside your world outside academia for goodness sake i have lawyer friends who were like oh my god that's illegal that's abusive yes. so they can show you that what's happening to you is actually not normal i think that's helpful so if that's the case then find ways to kind of rejig your committee or find ways to get support right by by you know finding a new supervisor even if it's hard or even even you know transferring programs which i know some people did right like yes. there are options to do that so it's up to you to decide in terms of you know whether you know you're you're willing to kind of rejig it but i think what we're trying to say is that there is a difference between someone who is you know just grumpy and someone who just kind of is very very picky versus someone who's abusive right yes. and so i think that's something that's super important to determine and, and Auntie Ethel, like I also want to say, I, I don't know, um, 
you know, I stayed with this abusive supervisor that I had with whom I did not end up finishing my PhD, thank God, right? Like, I, I do not know if it's Stockholm Syndrome or if it's just fear, right? I mean, right. when you're first generation, when you do not have monetary or cultural capital and, you know, you cannot see a world beyond this and you're like, well, if I leave, what am I going to do? Do I have other skills? I didn't. And so I felt really, really stuck with, with this person. So, so I think the fear is real. And the other thing I want to say is that, um, you know, I do have another uh, dear friend who did finish with an abusive supervisor. And mm. the problem is that, you know, then when they went to apply for jobs, uh, they could not get this abusive supervisor's letter. And, you know, your supervisor's letter is really important for securing academic jobs, right? So it's not that even if you think, okay, three more years, I'm gonna, you know, suck it up, keep my head down, and I'm gonna finish with this person, and know that they will probably sabotage you and not write you letters. So that's a reality that you do need to consider as well. Absolutely. And I think what's important here is that kindness is more important than brilliance. Um, if you're leaving a meeting with your supervisor or a potential supervisor or a potential committee member, feeling like really dejected, defeated and depressed, probably they're not people who you want to work with, right? Like there's a difference between a supervisor who's critical, who wants to push you to do better work versus someone who thinks that they need to put you down as a person, right? Um, and I think that's really important for us to distinguish. Look, I mean, I think there's so much more we can unravel and unpack here. This deserves like multiple episodes. But I think a good rule of thumb is, as Auntie Shaista says, is to basically find kindness, seek kindness. If um, you're not sure whether what you're experiencing feels right, ask a friend, um, ask resource people. Um, there are people out there who are willing to help you. Heck, you know, tweet me, email me, right? If you know, all else fails, you know, when you're just wondering if you're in an abusive situation, just ask me, you know. Um, but I do think there are a lot of people willing to help um, and a lot of people who are kind as well. Um, yeah. And so any final thoughts, Auntie Shaista, uh, to help people keep going? Because <laughs> it's hard. It's a hard slog. Yeah. You know what I'll say? I'll, I'll, I just want to say this, that you know, for those of us in particular who are racialized immigrants, who are first gen, who do not come from, you know, other kinds of capital, who are stuck in academia, I will say, I just want to say that, you know, often we feel, and I'm going to use this word because these are the words that I have been called by the abusive supervisor, that you are stupid, that, you know, this is not right for you, that there is nowhere for you to go, right? That you are just not good enough and you should not be in the program. And I'm going to say to you that you can turn out to be a brilliant scholar. You are brilliant. It's just that, you know, if this person is not seeing you for who you are, if they're more focused or, you know, in terms of like getting a job, if they're more focused on how you are cutting your chicken with your with your fork a knife you know <laughs> just fuck them right like you are so much more than how you hold your fork you're so much more than you know how you're able to quote unquote play this game like fuck like you know burn down the field is what i want to say right and and for those of us who are now coming into power in in however precarious or whatever ways like we are going to we are going to change the system you know we are going to just like flood the field so that there are no more such games to be played and and i really hope that other junior racialized academics senior academics superstar academics racialized or not who are listening to this 
do realize how harmful such conversations are about respectability politics and civility and all of that to the psyche of their students, especially the precarious ones. Uh, but that's yeah, thank you. That's such amazing words to live by. And I think this is one of our imperatives in starting academic antis, right? We don't want you to conform. I mean, we want you to be strategic. We want you to finish. We want you to thrive. Um, but we also realize that there are structural flaws within this messed up world that is the academy. And so Auntie Shaisa and I are there to, to with a gasoline and the match, right? <laughs> like, you know, um, yes. no, but in all honesty, like, you know, you know that you're brilliant. You know that you're good. And don't let the haters bring you down right academic um academic as a field as a world uh is so full of assholes so you know just remember that they're the assholes it's not you it's structural it's not you all right well thank you so much for listening to ask an academic auntie do you have a question message us on twitter at at academic auntie or send us an email to podcast at academic aunties.com we'd love to hear from you thank you so much auntie shysta thank you so much for listening thank you auntie ethel bye